and driving to upstate New York and uh, spending the night at my parents' house. We'll pick them up and then on Saturday we'll drive to New Jersey, uh, spend the night and be in church on Sunday morning in New Jersey and then we'll load up on buses and drive into New York City from there and then we'll fly out Sunday evening sometime uh, that evening to, to a, for a 10-hour flight, and then we'll arrive in Jerusalem. So we are uh, super excited about that, and uh, pray for our trip. And uh, I'm not, uh, you know, some people get concerned or worried about, you know, safety or security. Uh, I was listening to a brother, brother Charlie Clark. He was giving, he's kind of heading up the whole uh, group and, and the people that are going and he said this, he said, he said, don't worry about, like, if you see Israel in the news, he said, I'll tell you this, he said, I feel safer right now in Israel than I would in Philadelphia. Um, so, uh, so don't worry about safety and, and security and things like that. There are always little dust-ups here and there, but, uh, but it is a very secure place. And so we're, we're looking forward to it, and uh, we're excited about it. And again, certainly appreciate the opportunity that we can go. Uh, Psalm chapter number 14. I'd rather talk about the Bible. Let's, let's get into the Bible. Uh, I, I, when I preach in, in South Carolina, uh, I just went to the pulpit and I preached the first night. And, uh, and somebody, that church had supported me for many years, and so they knew us. And, uh, and one of the ladies of the church said, how's your wife? How's your family? And where are your kids? And, uh, and so I said, I am so sorry. I didn't, I didn't even mention my family when I got out there. And, and uh, they know my family because we've been to that church. And, and so the second night I got up and I said, let me, let me give you a rundown on where all my kids are and how my family's doing. And, and, uh, and I had to update them. But I come to the pulpit ready to preach. And that's, uh, that's just how I am. So uh, Psalm chapter number 14 the Bible says this in Psalm 14, the Bible says, The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. The Lord looked down from heaven from the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge? Who eat up my people as they eat bread and call not upon the Lord? There, there were they in great fear. For God in the generation of the for God is in the generation of the righteous. Ye have shamed the counsel of the poor, because the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion. When the Lord bringeth back the captivity of his people, Jacob shall rejoice, and Israel shall be glad. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you just for your goodness to us. We thank you for your many blessings. Thank you, Father, for the, uh, the health and the strength that would enable us to be here tonight. God, I pray that you would speak through me. God, I pray that you would bless each and every person. And uh, Father, we'll certainly thank you for that. God will give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. As we look at this psalm, you might notice that uh, uh, this psalm is not a psalm of praise. He doesn't start out praising the Lord. And uh, not only that, but uh, you might not notice this, but you may know this, uh, that this psalm is given to us really twice. 
Um, it's given to us in Psalm 53. It's almost identical. I read through it verse by verse and was comparing them, and, and it's almost identical down until you get to the latter half of the, uh, of the chapter. Uh, and even the ending ends the same. It ends on that, uh, that, that call for salvation from Israel. And so uh, it's a unique psalm uh, in that it's in here two, two separate occasions and very, very similar but it's also not a psalm of praise. On occasion, you'll have that. Uh, some of the psalms are praising God, and some are not. Uh, it's not even, really, it's not even directed to God. Uh, you'll notice that right in the beginning. He says, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. And he doesn't really, it's not a psalm of prayer um, like many of the other psalms. You know, Psalm 3 starts out, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Psalm 4 starts out, hear me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Psalm 5 starts out, give ear to my word, O Lord, consider my meditation. Psalm 6 starts out, O Lord, rebuke me not in thine anger. Psalm 7, O Lord my God, in thee do I put my trust. Psalm 8 starts out, O Lord our God, how excellent is thy name. Psalm 9 starts out, I will praise thee, O Lord. Psalm 10 starts out, Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Psalm 12 starts out, Help, Lord. Uh, and then Psalm 13, How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord? And all of those psalms, he's at least he's either praising God or he is addressing God with concerns that he has. And, uh, and you'll notice that's the majority of the psalms uh, up to this point. And so this one is, is far different from the many other psalms that we've studied. Uh, and, and listen, this psalm is, really contemplates the wickedness of evil people and warns of the evil works and ends in a cry for salvation. And, uh, and those are just facts about this psalm. And it was, uh, I was reminded of this verse, Colossians 3.16. The Bible says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in songs, or psalms, excuse me, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. The, the, uh, uh, the book of Psalms is that in the Jewish day, they would sing many of these Psalms. Uh, they were songs to be sung in their worship services. And even in the New Testament, hey, we're commanded to sing. Uh, the Bible says Psalms, that would be like these, Psalms, uh, hymns, and spiritual songs. And, uh, and, and the point is this, as I was reading, and over, reading over this and looking at this, some people think that, uh, that all the songs should only and simply praise the Lord. Well, we have a psalm here that does not. Matter of fact, it does what that, that verse in Colossians 3.16 tells us about. It admonishes us. Uh, just like the Bible says. You know, some of the songs that we sing, if you read through them, uh, they talk about our experiences. Uh, that song comes to mind, Prone to Wander, Prone to Leave, The One I Love, uh, is a hymn that, that's talking about, hey, we have this tendency to wander and how we should not. Uh, some of the hymns, I Surrender All, is not a song of praising God, but rather a song of saying, hey, I'm going to dedicate my life to the Lord. Uh, and so some of the songs that we sing 
are that. They're admonishment. They're, uh, they're, they're reminding us of things that we need to be done or we need to do, things that we should not do, things that we should stay away from. And Psalm 14 is that. It is a psalm of warning. It's a psalm of admonition. Uh, it's a psalm that tells us, hey, we need to be careful uh, of the wicked that are out there. And, uh, and so I want to look at it this evening and just take that psalm of warning and look at a few things uh, that are in here. The Bible says there in the first verse, and by the way, I think most preachers love this first verse, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Uh, I've quoted that many a times uh, because it's just, it's so descript and it's so uh, appropriate and it just fits. But I want to look at that this evening and the Bible says there, the fool has said in his heart, uh, there is no God. What is a fool? Well, I looked it up in the dictionary. Because I thought, let me give you a dictionary definition. And of course, the uh, Webster's Dictionary said this, In Scripture, fool is often used for a wicked or depraved person, one who acts contrary to sound wisdom in his moral deportment, one who follows his own inclinations, who prefers trifling and temporary pleasure to the service of God and eternal happiness." And, uh, and really, when you look at this, uh, I was reading down through the context of this, the, the larger portion of this psalm is addressing uh, the fool and those who would say, just like the fool would say in his heart, hey, there's no God. And, uh, and so really, that's what this psalm is looking at. Uh, by the way, I had my notes here as well, that you might recognize some of this psalm because it is quoted in, in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. Uh, and of course, we know that phrase, there is none that doeth good, no, not one. Uh, that's the fra one of the key phrases that shows up there in Romans. And so uh, it is used uh, in the book of Romans. And we see that that fool would be somebody who would deny God. That's what it says there. Uh, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. You notice where it, he says it. It's not necessarily that the fool is out proclaiming there's no God, but with his actions and with his life, he's living his life as if there is no God. Because in his heart, he's already decided that, hey, that is the case. Uh, the Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs, chapter 4 and verse 23, it says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. And listen, uh, the heart really determines the direction of our foot. Uh, you're here tonight, not because your foot led your heart here, but you're here tonight on a Wednesday night, on a cold, rainy Wednesday night, because your heart said, hey, my foot, you get busy and we're going to church. Uh, and you decided that and you showed up here uh, because your heart desired to be here. Hey, listen, the fool is living his life in absolute foolishness and folly. Why? Because his heart has declared within him, there's no God. What does that mean if there's no God? It means there's no authority. It means there's no morality. I mean, after all, who determines morality? Where did the Bible come from? Well, it came distinctly from God. 
And so anybody who rejects the idea of there is a God would automatically then reject the Word of God because uh, that comes from a, uh, something that in their mind does not exist. And so they're going to live their life absolutely devoid of the morality of Scripture and absolutely devoid of the ideas and philosophies that there is a judgment at the end of life. And you could just imagine, well, he describes where that goes. Look at what he says there. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Why? Because they declared in their heart, hey, there's no God. And so if there's no God, there's no reason to do anything that's good. Uh, the declaration, he says there, uh, he says the declaration that he proclaims is there is no God. You know, I was preaching this uh, past week on missions and I, I preached on Psalm 19. Psalm 19 starts out with these words, the heaven declare the glory of God. You know, I've, I know I've said this many a times, but, but the Bible says that, that listen, the, the fact of creation cries out that there is a God. Everyone wants to deny that. Everyone wants to say, well, no, that's, that's not true. Well, let me rephrase that. A small portion of people with very loud voices proclaim that that's not true. Um, and listen, uh, think about this. Well over 95% of the world believes that there is a God of some form or some fashion out there. And the majority of them believe that based on creation. You, you go to Africa, you go to some of these other countries that, uh, that are not Christian in, in heritage. You go to India, you go to places like that. And they will have the God of the rain, the God of the moon, the God of the sun. They, they will have many gods. Why is that? Because if you look around with two eyes and a brain and you think, there is somebody out there much bigger than myself that made all of this. It didn't just happen. Um, I've used this illustration many times, and I'll use it again. That's, that's kind of like going to uh, the junkyard with a stick of dynamite and, uh, and then taking a stick of dynamite and putting that in the center of that, that, all those junk cars and blowing it up and then thinking, man, out pops this beautiful, uh, this beautiful um, Corvette. That ain't going to happen. You're not even going to get a Chevy Chevette. I mean, you're, you're not even going to get a junkie S10 pickup. I mean, you just aren't because it doesn't happen by accident. Somebody designed that car. That's like going to the forest and, and, and throwing a stick of dynamite in the middle of the forest and, and watching all the trees explode and boom, out pops this beautiful log cabin. It's not going to happen. You won't even get a fort. I mean, uh, that just doesn't happen because it takes work and it takes effort to design all of that stuff. And creation clearly cries out that there is somebody much bigger than ourselves that is out there. The Bible is very clear about that. Creation is very clear about that. Um, 
And so we need to understand that. Uh, your, our belief or the belief of this, uh, of this fool uh, does not change the reality. Spurgeon said it this way. I like how he, he worded it. He said, denying the existence of fire does not prevent its burning a man who is in it. So doubting the existence of God will not stop the judge of all the earth from destroying the rebel who breaks his law. And that's what they think. They think, well, uh, since I don't believe in it, therefore it does not exist. And that simply is not true, even though that is the declaration that they make in their heart. Look at his works in verse number three. The Bible says, uh, no, I'm sorry, verse number one. It says, uh, they have done abominable works. Look at verse number three. He says, uh, we are are, are, are altogether become filthy. Hey, listen, uh, it should not surprise us that with, with the absence of philosophy of God in our society, that people are like, well, I can pick any gender that I want to be. I mean, if you don't believe that God made the genders, if you deny the fact that there is a God, then everything is happen chance, and, and therefore, following their logic, uh, you can pick any gender you want. Now, it's foolish, uh, and it doesn't make sense to us. Why? Because, well, we believe clearly there is a God, and that God designed us and created us as we are. Uh, we, I don't... I don't have the knowledge nor the time, but I, would, I love just the, the anatomical differences between a man and a woman. It's amazing. Go, go back and study. Uh, I, I mean, the, the, I, my friend, uh, Brother Jason Perlack, you know Brother Jason Perlack, he, he's led many a hikes, and he says, he says, listen, the guys hike differently than the ladies hike. They just do because uh, our bodies are made different. Uh, they're made for different functions. And so uh, there is just a severe difference. And all these people that are saying, oh, well, you know, they can all be the same. It's God didn't make us the same. And, and if you can't see that, that's why you got the mess we're in. Um, and so their works were absolutely abominable. Listen, we should not be surprised by the wickedness that is in our day because uh, those groups of people are proclaiming, hey, there's no God. Actually, out of one side of their mouth, they're saying, well, I'm this religion. But listen, out of this side of the mouth, they're saying that. It doesn't even line up. It doesn't even add up. And, uh, and so there's a problem. Spurgeon put it this way. When the master's eyes are put out, what will not the servants do? In other words, hey, if, if, if and this is not true, we'll see this, but if God's blinded, then man will live however man wants to without any recompense, without any thought, thinking, well, there's no judgment, there's no correction, there's, no, uh, there's not going to be any problem. You know, they, they, they've proved this over and over. You ever seen the little kid videos? And, and the mom says, puts a cookie in front of them and says, now don't eat this cookie. And then she leaves the room and leaves a video recording it. And, uh, and of course, what does the kid do? As soon as mom walks out the door, that kid grabs a cookie and he eats it. And mom comes back and, the kid, and she asks the kid usually, did you eat that cookie? No. Nope. She's still chomping on it. Um, 
Why? Because, hey, authority teaches us when somebody's over top of us, when somebody's watching us, we know better, we ought to behave ourselves. And, uh, and the truth of the matter, God is paying attention. Look at verse number two. The Bible says, the Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. And the idea there is that, hey, God does pay attention. God is watching us. The book of Revelation we're going through on Sunday nights, uh, I mean, seven times. I know thy works. Uh, And he names them. He names the good and he names the bad. And he knows what is going on. And so God is not ignorant uh, of how we live our lives or how wicked the world is or the things that they are doing. God is very much so aware uh, of the wickedness that is in this world. So we see the corruption in verses 1 through 3. I want you to notice their conduct in verses 4 through 6. Look at what he says there in verse number 4. He says, I love his question there. Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge? In other words, how is it they don't understand? How is it that they don't see? How is it that they don't get it? How is it that they are completely ignorant of God? And he goes on, he says, who eat up my people as they eat bread. And the idea is that they're very destructive uh, towards, towards people who do right. Um, one of the biggest reasons the nation of Israel has been persecuted uh, is because they're God's chosen people. Uh, and they are God's chosen people. They didn't always live right, uh, but they are certainly God's chosen people. And as a result of that, there has been persecution for years on the Israelite people. Listen, translate that into the New Testament, and you know what? Uh, n- not because we're, we're chosen, but rather because we're, we're Christian people and, and we live right. People do not like people who live right. They're not happy that you do right. They're not happy that, uh, that you know what gender they are, you are, and, uh, and they want you to be just like them. And they won't stop until that happens. They will continue to push and push laws and push their agenda uh, until everyone is just like them. They don't, they don't want anything different. Uh, why is it that Cain killed Abel? Well, the Bible tells us. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3, In verse number 12, it says, Not as Cain, who was that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. This is not a new problem. You understand, Cain and Abel were were the, the first people born on this earth. Adam and Eve were the first people created on this earth. Cain and Abel were the first person, first people born on this earth. And listen, there was a problem then of righteousness. And somebody, Cain, who was not righteous, did not obey the word of God, did not accept what God told him to do, and then hated Abel because Abel did accept what God told him to do, did what was right. And as a result, Cain was upset and killed Abel. It's not a new problem that we're dealing with. It's been around since the beginning of time, and that is sin. And the Bible says in John, uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 3 and verse number 19, and this is the condemnation that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For every one that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds 
should be reproved. Hey, listen, that's why, um, listen, when, when you get saved, it's not usually if you're going to live right and you're going you're gonna to decide, man, I, I know I want to follow the Lord and the Lord convicts you of something and you stop doing it. Usually you don't have to tell your friends, chow, they usually tell you, chow. Because they're like, hey, let's go do this, let's go drinking, let's go do this or do that, or let's, let's go that. And you're like, no, I'm not doing that anymore. And they're like, man, he's weird. And it bothers them. Why does it bother them? Because they, they want to go live it up. They want to party. They don't want to be reminded or, or even think, well, this might be wrong. Or this might not be a right thing to do. And it bothers them. And so generally, they either uh, will disappear real quick uh, or they'll get mad and, and, uh, and try and um, pollute or twist you uh, to do what is wrong. So we see the destruction, it says here in verse number four, who eat up my people as they eat bread. We see the departure. Look at what it says, the second phrase, who and call not upon the Lord. In other words, they're not, by and large, Lost people are not calling on God. You know when they call on God? When they're laid out flat in the hospital. And they're like, mm, maybe now I should start thinking about God. Most of them, their mindset, they, they know that there is a God. And most of them, in their mind, they're thinking, when I'm old and I'm decrepit and I'm on my deathbed, that's when I'm going to ask the Lord to save me. That's what they think. The problem is, they don't, know when that, if, they don't know if that will happen. They don't know uh, when they're going to die. And, and, and they don't want to think about that. And, and so they don't call upon God. They're not seeking God. They're not going after God. You know how we open the doors uh, an hour early. And listen, uh, they're not just flooding into this place, you know. They're, they're heading to the Coliseums. They're heading to, uh, well, not, not, not the stadium up in Cleveland for the football. Um, they're probably going elsewhere. But, uh, uh, but, you know, they open those doors. And, man, people, not only are they flocking in there, they're charging an exorbitant amount to get in there. And people will pay the price. Uh, but they're not doing that for godly things. They're not interested in God. They're not seeking after God. Uh, they depart. They don't call from God. Uh, look at what it says in verse 5. This is a, a strange phrase, uh, but, but it's awkwardly, um, it's a little awkward if you first read it. But it says this, there were they in great fear. There were they in great fear. You say it twice and you got it down. Uh, there were they in great fear. In other words, hey, there was, not only were they trying to destroy the righteous, not only were they departing from God and not calling upon God, but there really is a dread uh, to the lost person. Behind all of it, they put up a big facade. They, will, they won't necessarily tell you this, but there is a fear. And, and when, when everything goes quiet and everything has calm and they're just sitting there, they don't want to ponder life because there is a fear. Turn over to Psalm 53 really quick. I believe that's where it's at. Yeah, Psalm 53 and verse number 5. I, I like the way it's phrased here in this verse. This is where it differs just a little bit in verse 5 uh, to our Psalm 14. But he says there in, in Psalm 53, he says, There were they in great fear. There's our phrase, Psalm 53, 5. There were they in great fear 
Look at what it says. Where no fear was. For God hath scattered the bones of him that encampeth against thee. Thou hast put them in shame, uh, to shame because God hath despised them. They start to really realize, you know what, there is a God. And they start to think about the bad things that happen. And they think, you know what, there is some, there's something out there that's bigger. And there's something out there that is, uh, that is scary to them. And, and the Bible tells us very clearly, there were they in great fear. In other words, hey, they do have fear on the inside. Uh, they're unsure of those things. And the Bible says in Psalm 53, 5, uh, where no fear was. In other words, hey, they appear real bold and, and, uh, and I'm not scared of nothing. And, but in reality, they do have fear. And it is there. And, uh, and so we see that dread that they have. And then look at uh, verse number 6 back in our Psalm 14. And we see here in verse number 6, the Bible says, Ye have shamed the counsel of the poor, because the Lord is his refuge. Not only, have they departed, not only do they try and destroy the righteous, and they've departed from God, and they're scared, they have a dread of God, but uh, they also despise the counsel of the poor. Of the poor, you know what the counsel of the poor is—the word of God. Hey, those who are uh, those who are needy and those who uh, don't have everything you, they need, you know what they do? They go to the word of God, and you know what it is? It's a counsel. It's a help. It's 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 something that that we need to have. But wicked people—they despise the word of God. They they they're like, oh, you don't that that book—it's a crutch. And they'll tell you all these things and they'll dismiss it all they want. Uh, but in reality, hey, listen, uh, it is the word of God. It is the counsel. It is what helps us. And so we see the conduct really uh, of the wicked. We see the corruption of the wicked and how they said in their heart, there is no God. I want you to notice in verse number seven, their cry or their, their call to God. He says there in verse number seven, oh, that salvation Oh, that the salvation of Israel were to come out of Zion. I want you to notice their concern first and foremost there in verse number 7. And their concern is that the salvation of Israel, they're waiting. The psalmist is, is ready to see the salvation of God. And when you see the wickedness that is all around you, hey, we're, we're, we can completely understand where he's coming from. When you look around and you see all the wickedness, you say, man... Lord, I'm ready for the Lord to come. I just want to see the salvation. I just want to see the... Uh, they were, of course, looking for the Messiah to come out of Zion. Uh, they, they, of course, knew the prophecy. Uh, but you see their concern is that all the wickedness that is going on around them. And then you see his, uh, his cry is, Hey, come, come, uh, Lord Jesus. That's not a new cry. Uh, matter of fact, all the way back in Genesis 49 and verse 18, uh, Jacob is going through his last days and he's, he's giving proclamations of all the blessings of all of his 12 children, the tribes. And, and, uh, and he says this in the middle of that. He says in Genesis 49, 18, I have waited for thy salvation, O Lord. In other words, he was focused and he was waiting for God's salvation. They lived in Egypt. They were surrounded by wickedness, but he was crying out to God. Uh, Isaiah chapter 8 and verse number 17. And I will wait upon the Lord that hideth his face from the house of Jacob, and I will look for him. You go through and find that phrase throughout the Bible 
time in and time out as people are waiting on the salvation of God. And you hear their cry, even so come Lord Jesus. Hey, listen, uh, boy, that's like our cry. Uh, you know, our cry is, he's already come once, uh, and, and, and he came in the form of a human and he died on the cross and rose again from the dead and he did it so that you and I could be saved. And praise the Lord, we have salvation. But listen, now we're ready for him to come again. We're saying, hey man, I, I want to hear the trumpet. I'm ready. I'm done with this wicked world. I'm done with the, the craziness that goes on. And I'm, I'm tired of the, uh, the, the, the wickedness and those who would say in their heart that there is no God and live such a wicked life. We'd cry the same way that they would. Even so, come Lord Jesus. We're ready. We're waiting for your salvation. We'd love to see that day. And, uh, and we certainly have that same cry. We can echo that. I want you to notice this as well in the last part. It says, Jacob shall rejoice and Israel shall be glad. Hey, there's great joy and rejoicing for the child of God. Israel was waiting for the coming Messiah. They thought their understanding was that God was going to set up a kingdom on the earth, which he is. He just didn't do it that time when they thought he should. And, uh, and, and so they were waiting for that, and they were looking for the coming of, of, of the Messiah that would set up his kingdom, and, and that was their, their thing that they were looking for. And, uh, and they were looking forward to having a joyful time when the God of heaven would be the, uh, the reigning uh, ruler on this world. That's what they looked for. And listen, like they looked for, for rejoicing and that comfort, Hey, when we get to heaven, hey, there is great comfort. There is great joy. Now you go back to Genesis or Revelation chapter 21, and, uh, and there's all those things. The Bible says tears will be wiped away. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more... Uh, it goes through a whole list of things. And we say, man, praise the Lord, that's a good thing. And we'll look forward to those days. It'll be a day of rejoicing. It'll, day, it'll be a day of, of great joy for us. Just like for them, uh, they shall rejoice and be glad. Hey, for us, Christian, we look forward to that day. And it'll be a day of great rejoicing. It'll be a day of great uh, joy to be forever delivered and say, man, I don't have to wrestle with sin anymore. I don't have to worry about the wickedness of this world. And I can be for all eternity in heaven with my Savior. We, we sing that song, what a day that will be. What a day it will be. It really will. It'll be a great day that we look forward to. And so we see his call or his cry at the end of this psalm. We see the corruption. We see the conduct of the wicked. And then we see the cry of the righteous saying, hey, Lord, come save us. Hey, take us out. We're ready. We're done with this world. And, uh, and what a great psalm. And, uh, and I, it's good to be reminded that, hey, the, w the world is wicked. They're lost. They're going to do what they're going to do. But listen, we ought to be looking for the Savior. We ought to be looking forward to His coming. As we stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes